Welcome to Quilting Business Success, the podcast where we interview quilters just like you who have turned their passion for quilting into a profitable long-arm quilting business. I'm your host, Andrew Weaver, and in each episode, we'll bring you stories of quilters who have the same doubts and fears that every quilter has when they think about pursuing their quilting dreams. But these quilters moved forward anyway, despite their fears, and today, you'll hear their stories. It is a little bit of a coin flip here, but I think I'm going to start with um, Shane and Vita first, and then uh, we'll take 20 minutes, half an hour, something like that, and then we'll we'll go on to Valerie. So there's plenty of time to answer the questions. And Vita, I expect you to correct Shane many times during this. (laughs) I'll answer second. That'll make it easy. let me refer to my uh, questions here. So first off, um, Shane, where where's home for you guys? What part of the country are you in? Uh, we're in Missoula, Western Montana, right on the Clark Fork River. Okay. Uh, how long have you been long arm quilting? Well, Shane just started long arm quilting with me. <laughs> I've been long arm quilting for almost two years now. Okay. I've been stitching off machines for a year. Okay. Right. So um, two years, that's, that's not a real long time. Had you been a a quilt top piecer before then? I started piecing quilt tops and started looking to buy an, a long arm in 2018 and 2019. Okay. That's, that's a lot quicker than most people's path. So somehow you, um, you just kind of, what happened? How, how did you, how did you decide to get into this? I fell in love with it. Work? Did you have friends that were quilters? Um, I, well, I fell into a, a quilters guild here in Missoula and, um, and of course COVID happened. So we were stuck in the house and not a whole lot of outlets and that sort of thing. And, um, and actually in between 2020 and 2021, we had closed our in-home daycare and we were making masks. I had already been sewing and making clothing and teaching all kinds of handcrafts, um, but hadn't really picked up quilting yet. And, and I was uniquely positioned with my, my website and other things to provide masks during COVID. And so between March of 2020 and late 2021, the last time I checked my shop, we made and sold over 18,000 masks. Wow. Through our little shop. And we were doing them in the basement of our house. And um, shortly after I had gotten a contract to make some for the state of Montana for their um, visitors centers, um, I told Shane that I wanted to take some of that money and buy a long arm. And he said, yes. I didn't want to get too into the piecing till I could quilt it myself. <laughs> right, right. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which was what made you decide to long arm? Was it, was it the cost of having your quilts done by somebody else or? Um, yeah, some of it was the cost. Plus um, I, when I look at something that I made, I like to know that I made it from start to finish. I really didn't want to make something and have somebody else quilt it for me because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be 
be able to have the satisfaction of knowing that I had selected the pattern, selected the fabric, made it and quilted it myself. Mm -hmm. But at that point, you had no intention of of turning it into some kind of business. I absolutely wanted to make it a business. I knew that there was a demand in our area for long arm quilting. Um, And so I told I told Shane, I said this this for me could be the next chapter because we were already looking at ways to close our daycare. And so, um, and wanting to do something different because the whole reason that Shane had done the daycare to begin with was because he wanted to be a stay at home dad after a divorce. And so we were looking to, you know, start a new chapter in our lives because the kids were gone. And so I just thought that quilting was going to be my new chapter and we needed to figure out what Shane was going to do. So I, I did go into it intending to do it as a business. Gotcha. Shane, do you have anything you need to add to what she said? Well, I, I was keenly interested and in, in hopeful that it would be a viable income because my fallback was food and beverage. And that was the last place that I wanted to be was back in restaurants, uh, you know, terrible hours. It's hard work. So I, I was I was encouraged at the response right away uh, and and seeing how people were were using them to uh, essentially, you know, create a cottage industry. Yeah. So were you so when when Vita said, I've got this harebrained idea to buy a machine and I can make some money with it. What was your, um, I mean, obviously that that had to hit you some way or another. How did it hit you? Well, be honest. <laughs> it was more or less just kind of hold on because I knew I I knew it was going to happen. I mean, she's she is a, a unique person in that um, when she decides she can create kind of this momentum, <laughs> and um, and it it. It it didn't seem that far fetched, you know. The more that we talked about it, um, and you know, apart from the the upfront cost for the machine, or you know, the arranging the financing for it, it's a lot less than a lot of other ventures that you would get into. So well, that's um, a good point. You're not going to buy a McDonald's franchise for that, right? No. Right, and it did. You checked off a lot of the boxes. You know, we have a beautiful home that we want to spend enjoy. And uh, neither of us really wanted to get back into kind of a nine to a nine to five thing, uh, or I'd never really had that. I just knew I didn't want it. Uh, so this was worth the, it was worth the risk. Hmm. So you made the choice to get a gamble as opposed to other brands. Well, that actually, wasn't the one we started out. Actually, with. Shane's first response to me was buy what you can pay cash for with the money that you got from the state. And so I did, I bought another brand. I bought their top of the line, every bell and whistle. And eight months later, I was a very unhappy camper. Ah, this is part of your story. I had no idea. Oh yeah. So I did not, I didn't like quilting on it. It was loud. I didn't have control over the patterns. Uh, I was very, very frustrated. And then I was introduced to Judy Niemeyer patterns and Shane encouraged me to go to a Judy Niemeyer retreat here in Montana. The, the quilt works. Yep. Yep. And I met Judy and she was quilting on a gamel. I believe and she, she has three Statlers. If I recall, I've been to her place. Well, she, she was quilting on a, a gamel Statler and, 
And um, we didn't even get through the whole week. And she approached me about becoming certified to teach her patterns. And when I went to visit with her, part of our conversation revolved around my frustrations about my current machine. And she very patiently listened to me to gamble. Everything that you just told me you're frustrated about will be solved if you were stitching on a gamble. And so I came home from the retreat and I told Shane, Judy says I need a gamble. <laughs> you can't argue with Judy Niemeyer. <laughs> no, you really can't. No. <laughs> and to his credit, he said yes. And three days later, we were ordering my gamble Statler. Okay. Interesting. So when you started, you did start with a computerized machine, but it wasn't a gamble. And Correct. then you went to the Statler, which is our computerized machine. Okay. Correct. Okay. And then last year we bought a plus machine. Okay. And um, with the full intention of retrofitting it. Retrofitting it. Yeah. So, so now, for anyone who's not aware, when he says he bought a plus machine, that's a machine that would have been built sometime between probably like 97 and like 2010 or something. That would have been a hand-guided only machine, fully loaded, all the options. They had a lot of features like the stitch regulator and stuff, but uh, by today's standards, pretty pretty antiquated. But interestingly enough, a plus machine will still outstitch just about everything on the market that's not a gamble. Yeah. But so you had gotten that one with the intention of doing what with it? Retrofitting it to be a Statler. Okay, so you'd have a found second. it on the secondary market, um, mm -hmm. not far from us, and I I told Shane that I really thought that well, I knew that people were driving all the way to Helena, which is two and a half hours away from us, to rent a machine from a a, a di different brand, um, and I told him I said, why do we not buy another machine and and rent them here so that people don't have to drive all the way to Helena to rent a machine? And, and so, you're very clever because you're still working from home and you're still enjoying that that beautiful retreat yep. that you've made for yourself and it's other yep. people that have to come to you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because you get some snow there. I've been there. Yes. Yeah. And so when the snow flies, these women don't want to drive through. They have to drive through a mountain pass to get to Helena and it can be, get treacherous. Yeah. So. So uh, and the, um, the other Statler was upgraded to an Ascent. So now we have a Statler and an Ascent. Okay. So that was the other question that I just had, but you just answered it, which is, do you have the same machine today that you started with or have you traded up or added an upgrade to it? So you took the regular Statler that you started with and then you added the Ascend upgrade. Correct. Okay. And, and then I just a, a question. Do you run the machine... Um, faster than you used to because of the increased accuracy, or do you run it um, about the same speed, but just smile real big at how perfect everything looks? So the, the, the send is my original machine, which was new when I purchased it. And, um, and I predominantly use it to do custom work. So I'm enjoying the precision over the speed. Mm -hmm. And then I use the retrofit to run edge to edge quilts 
um, in the background while I'm working on the customs. Mm -hmm. How did you know that there was enough long arm business available there in your town to support another long arm quilter? Um, well, <laughs> she's kind of nosy. <laughs> I'm kind of nosy. Well, she just it, finds out. You it, know, you ask and then you get the answer. Yeah, I, that's, I, what you have to I, do. that's exactly what I did. Is a, a, a shop owner here in town where a lot of long armors uh, pick up and drop off quilts. She asked me if I was going to be doing that sort of thing because she wanted to send me quilts. And one mm -hmm. of the things that she has a hard time finding is people who are willing to do the custom quilting. She can find plenty of people willing to do the edge to edge. It's the custom quilts that are hard to find. And one Saturday, I just happened to pop into a class at her shop. And for hours, there were these women coming in and out of the shop to a closet and picking up quilts and dropping off quilts. And I came home and I told Shane, I was like, she's not kidding. There's a lot of long arm business in this mm -hmm. area. So... Yeah. And then we find out that a couple of them are, you know, they're they're no longer interested in taking in as many quilts as they have in the past. Yeah, that so, happens many times. I've observed. Yeah. All the all the people whose homes I've been in, I've noticed many times that somebody might be 60 years of age and they uh, get into long arm quilting. And they have a fantastic 5, 10, 15, 20 year run. And then, you know, 20 years later, they're now 80 and they've earned money they never thought they were going to earn and done a lot of things. And now they're, you know, slowing down. Right. So they switch yeah. over to um, doing them just for friends and family and their favorite customers and things like that. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how then how did you find the customers to grow your business? That was from the quilt shop. No, actually. <laughs> the, this particular quilt shop owner wants to decide what you charge mm -hmm. to do quilting. And I was not about that. I was like, this is not a charity. I can't do it for what you want me to charge. So I have yet to ever get a quilt from that quilt shop. Um, instead, what I did was um, I first took in every free quilt that I could take in, comfort quilts, quilts, you know, for quilts of valor quilts and that sort of thing to practice. And um, and I, you know, lowered my prices a little bit cheaper than the rest of the market and started getting customers. And actually today, most of my customers are mailing me quilts. Really? I have. I do have local customers, but I get a lot of mailed quilts, custom quilts. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with the money to buy your machine? Um, well, because the first one was what you could afford. The second right. one was beyond what you so, could afford. Right. So it was only eight months old. So we sold it. And it was also at that time when everything was difficult to get. Yes. You know, we were still in the supply uh, issues with COVID at the end of COVID and they wanted a long arm. So we were able to recoup decent, you know, money back from it. And then we just applied that. And then we also had Shane as a, a thrifter and I had a quite expensive um, stash of apparel fabrics, vintage apparel fabrics and wools that people were looking for. And so I sold them 
to finance the new machine. I cleaned out. was like, I'm not going to be doing that kind of sewing. So why do I need to hang on to that stuff? Wow. That's yeah, something you look at the I've never heard of before. Cleaned out. It's <laughs> 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 a way of replenishing itself. <laughs> so um, did you have another job while you were starting your long arm business? How long <laughs> did you do both jobs before you did full-time clothing? The last two years, we still had a daycare in our home. But it was running at six. No, kids. Yeah. At so kids less, less than 50% of what it was before. Yeah. Um, these were just a few of our very close clients. Uh, and um, But they were six kids under the age of four. So. Yeah. So it still doesn't sound like a lot when you had 12 under the age of four. Yes, true. <laughs> but so. yeah, it was... You know, they took a nap on the floor next to the machine and I quilted and they got used to the sound of that machine and they slept right through it. I bet. I bet. And then on May 12th of this year, after 23 years, we were able to close the daycare down. Mm -hmm. That, how did that feel? Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) As you can imagine. It did feel pretty good, didn't it? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been a little bit emotional too. Um, I I closed a, a store, a business that I had opened and run and grew it from nothing, you know. And it was it was a feeling of relief very much because it wasn't any longer what I wanted to do with my life. Sure. But it was also a little bit emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a those last few kids. Um, we were very close to their parents, so we we miss them. We get we see them every once in a while, but certainly not as often. Um, but most days, about eight o'clock in the morning, if we're both here, we're like, "There's no kids here." <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. You're free. <laughs> Just a narrator's note here that Shane and Vita's internet connection faded out for a moment. So now both the machines are not in the house; they're in a detached what used to be a detached garage that's finished out. And so I call this my studio. And most days by eight or nine in the morning, I come out here and I'm here. Um, I quilt until about five or six o'clock in the evening. And then I call it a day. Okay. Okay. The first part of what you said cut off, but I think I what I basically gathered at the end was that you're quilting a full work day every day. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so do you do some edge to edge in addition to the custom? Yes. I run some, if I have edge to edge quilts to run, I set them up on the second machine. And then while they're running, I work on the custom quilts. Okay. Okay. That's, that's very efficient. Um, do you charge by the hour or by the square inch or how do you do that? Um, square inch for all of it. Okay. Just a different rate. For custom. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, what would you say your total charge for an average queen size quilt is? And I know you're going to probably give me a couple different numbers, right? Right. So uh, uh, if if we're talking at custom, I have a custom Judy Niemeyer on my long arm right now, and it's going to bill out about eleven to $1,200 when it's done. Okay. And that's a lot of stitch in the ditch and custom placement of all the patterns. 
And then, but the average quilt um, that we do just every day, edge to edge, runs between 150 to $300, depending on the size of the quilt. Mm -hmm. um, and if I don't have a custom on the machine, then I'll run both the machines with edge to edge okay. so I can double up. And you had mentioned that when you first started doing quilting and you were gaining customers that you kind of underpriced a little bit. Um, no, I did not underprice. The shop owner wanted me to underprice and I said no. <laughs> ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. She wanted me to charge what I thought was a ridiculous amount of money. And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. I mean, well, you have to value your own time and time. I have to, that's what I told her. I said, I have to value my time. And I also have to, you have to understand that their quilt is not just getting quilted, it's getting quilted on the best machine on the market. And I'm paying for that machine. So right. can't do that. Right. So you don't have a long track record to answer this question off of, just a couple of years, really. But this question is about how many quilts or how much revenue, revenue, sorry, did you do in your worst year? And then how about in your best year? Oh, well, I guess this year has been our best year. And it's hard to answer that question because I also have an online shop where I sell Judy Niemeyer kits and patterns and that sort of thing. But uh, this year we're tracking to $20,000 a year in my online shop. So you, so did you say a $20,000 year in the shop? Mm -hmm. And then and how much that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't include all the quilting. So some of the quilts get billed through the shop if they're mailed in, but if they're local quilts, they're not going to roll into that because they usually write me a check or whatever. So I would estimate that this year we're probably tracking at about six or 7,000 on quilts. But I've also been very busy and had to say no to some quilts and because I've been traveling with the tour and that sort of thing. So, Okay. All right. I I was able to see, um, I'm still learning how to use the dumb computer. So I was able to see somebody uh, ask a question that I thought was a really good one from the audience. And that okay. was on that uh, $1,200 Judy Niebuyer custom quilt about how long is that quilt gonna be on the frame from start to finish? So this one will be on the frame longer because I have to stop and travel. Okay. <laughs> but the one before it that was just like it, I worked on it for six days, about eight hours a day. Okay. And that's why a lot of people aren't willing to do custom, but you were doing edge to edges on your other machine at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah, right. So you were basically double dipping. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. also when you think about it, if you're billing out 11 or $1,200 on one quilt a week, I mean, if you did four of those a, a month, that's pretty good money. It's decent money. Absolutely. Very decent money. Yep. Especially considering you can do it in your pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to skip a couple questions just because I want to make sure that we can come back to them if we need to. Um, what was the hardest part of growing your business? What do you think the hardest part was? I think the hardest part, I didn't realize it at the time when I was, 
I thought I was doing a really good job of multitasking with the daycare. And now that I don't have that pulling me away, I realized that it really was not easy to multitask that way. I didn't have a problem finding customers. Um, and I didn't have a time, I didn't have a difficult time learning how to use the Statler with the resources that Gamel gives you. So probably the hardest part has just been um, being able to dive into to it as much as I want to without being distracted by other things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what is one change in technology that makes it easier today than when you started? Um, in the technology. Well, the technology hasn't changed all that much and I'm still using the years. same. <laughs> yeah, in two years. But um, I will say that for me, as far as across brands, the Statler software, the CS7 software gives me so much control over the patterns and over uh, customizing everything that it's so much easier to quilt the quilt. Mm -hmm. it, it's faster. I don't spend near as much time um, placing the patterns and setting everything up. And, and then of course, I am confident when I hit start quilting that what gets stitched is a quality stitch and I'm not spending time dinking around with uh, tension on my threads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a big difference. I, I do believe that a lot of times people who have only had a gamble, they're not aware of how much tension trouble people with other brands have. They assume that because they've had this much tension trouble in 20 years, Oh, absolutely. Everybody else's experience is the same. And that's not the case with other brands, is it? No, it's not. I mean, I was so frustrated with that other machine. I <laughs> wanted to roll it out and push it in the river. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ties into my story of how I got to the Gamma world because I used to sell those those other things. So um, who was your biggest cheerleader or support system? Was that your husband? It was Shane. Yeah. Yeah. It well, was Shane. Yep. Um, he must have gone to deal with the dog or something. He ran um, to, yeah, the dogs are freaking out because of the storm. He'll, he, he'll be right back. He's coming. Let's okay. back and see him. If you have a question. I've been noticing his worried looks in that direction. Well, he's um, watching the storm out there. <laughs> so what kind of impact has the quilting money and the control of your personal schedule made in your life? Oh, well, well, the quilting money obviously allowed us to uh, close the daycare. It's also allowed us to take care of some debt. And so we have more choices about what we're doing and what we're not doing. And, um, and, and now without the daycare being open, when we have, when I'm not quilting and when Shane is home, we're able to spend our day the way that we want to spend it. So it means we get to go camping or fishing. Um, and when the snow flies, it just means I'll get to make some more quilts. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. What is something that you wish someone would have told you when you first started? Don't put the machine in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I've told a lot of people that actually. <laughs> It was so easy going in because we were able to put the truck in and wheel it off in one piece in there. And then we didn't have that option on the 
way out. So it's, <laughs> it's a big move. Uh, yeah. I wish somebody had told me not to waste my time on any other brand. Well, that was that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times people are just, they're, they're constrained by their budget and they also <laughs> feel as though the other one, like it looks like it will work. Like they demonstrate it and it obviously functions and people obviously buy them and use them. Well, you know what I think puts people at a disadvantage? And this is just my opinion after attending QuiltCon this year. I'd never been to a quilt show, a big quilt show where there were um, long arm companies demoing machines. And I told Shane, I said, you can't hear how rickety those other brands are in that big room because there's so much noise going on that it masks the lack of quality in the other machines. If you just had all the long arms lined up in a room that was quiet and had everybody run them, it would be so obvious to people yeah. the difference. Because yeah. my first machine went in the basement and it was so loud, it I would leave the room while it was stitching. When I got my gamel, it went in the dining room right next to the living room and we could sit and watch TV and have a conversation while the machine was running. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so that was two years ago when you first started and what advice would you give to someone who wants to kind of follow in your footsteps, do the same kind of things that you did? Do you believe that it's still even possible in 2023 because you started during the pandemic? I do, because I know that um, there's still long wait times for people waiting for quilts to be done. And I know that there's some very small shops um, up in the Mission Valley that have purchased very inexpensive machines um, and people are mailing them quilts from all over the country. So there's, there is still a very heavy demand. My advice to them would be to move heaven and earth to get a gamel. <laughs> if you're really serious, then you have to do what it's what, whatever is possible in order to make sure that you have a machine that really will allow you to do this as a business. And uh, I would tell them I, when I do demos for people, um, I always tell them the story about Judy telling me to get a gamel. And the other thing that she said to me after she told me to buy a gamel was she said, if you really want to be taken seriously as a long arm quilter, you need to be quilting on a gamel. And if you've got a gamel, people will give you their quilts to quilt. Mm -hmm. Because just the fact that you're quilting on a gamel communicates to people that you're serious about what you're doing and that their quilt is in good hands. Interesting. And I don't think you you can be shy about going and finding where the people are at, where the people who need their their pieces quilted. And you have to go to the quilt shops and you have to be involved in the quilt guilds and uh, yeah. the charity groups. And you can't be shy about promoting saying, yourself. I'm I'm new to this, but I'm I'm willing to learn. I'm 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 doing you, all the work. Would you share with me something that like Let's just say that you went to a quilt guild, right? And you're there for the meeting and they have what show and tell. Can you give me an example of early on what kind of thing you might have said or done so that other people in the room knew that you were offering quilting? 
He's laughing already, and I am too. I was dumb enough to accept the position as president of the guild. <laughs> Pretty much sight unseen. And, <laughs> they asked me, nobody was... else wanted to do it. And they were like, would you do it? And I was like, sure. And then I made sure every meeting I had a quilt to show. Gotcha. So <laughs> you would hold it up and say, hey, this is, this is. I Jane made it quilt. and I quilted it. Oh, your, your own quilts. Oh, my own quilts. Okay. And then I made sure that if I quilted something for somebody else, that I shared a picture of it before I sent it out. If they didn't live here in town and they weren't going to be coming to the meeting. I started a virtual show and tell on our Facebook page. So I got a chance to show it to the guild, even though I was going to be mailing it out. But there's so many different groups with hand stitchers and, and uh, uh, the quilts of valor and all of these pe smaller groups that are getting together and yeah. the, the conversation. Involved. Well, we've, yeah. we've had many, many people come out here um, just to see the machines or see the space and, and do a little bit of, quilting for the charity groups and they know somebody who knows somebody who needs quilts done. Yep. And, um, yeah, maybe. and if you're not super busy on your machine and you're still trying to build a really good thing to do as far as fostering goodwill is volunteer to let a charity group come and borrow your machine. You teach them how to set up an edge to edge or you can do it yourself, but I ran out of time. I was stretched so thin that what I did was I said, I can't quilt it for you, but if you want to come, I will show you how to set up an edge to edge and you can borrow my machine. And I let Quilts of Valor come once or twice a month to quilt their quilts at no charge. I've not heard of that before. I, I just uh, wanted to say it was brought to my attention that I do have some questions, other questions from people who've been viewing uh, Jean asked, how many quilts a week are you doing on your two machines? So um, usually I have one custom on and then on, on the edge to edge, we'll do three, four, five quilts a week, depending. Okay. Um, Sherilyn asked, how did you determine that your quilting was at the level that you could offer custom quilting? Um, well, <laughs> If I was happy with it and Judy Niemeyer asked me to make a quilt, the latest technique of the month and to quilt it. And when she did that, then I was like, okay, if she's happy with it, then I guess everybody else can be happy with it. So how long had you had your Statler before you were at that level? A about year, a year. Yeah, about a little, year. Just a little over a year. Mm -hmm. A year, okay. But she immersed herself in it. I mean, she was, by the time it was set up, she had already gone through all of the trainings yeah. and she was ready to put a quilt on it on day one. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's not everybody wants to do it that way. But, you know, she was, she was very anxious, chomping at the bit. So somebody asked, um, uh, there's a quilter in my town with three machines and she's six weeks out on orders. What's the best way to direct some of those quilters to my shop if they don't want to wait? Advertise that they don't have to wait. <laughs> what do you mean by advertise? Because we're not taking out an ad in the in the nickel saver. No. no. Um, so the the cheapest way to set up something to let people know is a Facebook business page. Okay. 
set up a Facebook just business. Mention stuff at, at Guild, right? Because the, and then you go to Guild. The quilter's grapevine is super fast. Yep. And if you turn a quilt around in a week or three days, good, they will be and and it's good. You think they're not going to talk about it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. They'll, they'll be like, well, here's another one. I mean, Vita got a customer in Washington and before her first one was in the mail back to her, she had already sent three more in the mail because right. it was basically the turnaround on it was, well, okay, let's get these done. There I've are a lot, of, a lot of long-arm quilters that have way more business than they want to, than they can keep up with. Um, got two more. No, the other one got answered already. Um, hi to Vita. I took her course in Orlando. What would you prioritize picking out a used machine to get started? The size of the machine and the age or other favorite details you think are important? And what do you think the best side table size table is? Well, I'll be honest with you. When I started looking at used machines, I called Gamble Sales and I talked to Heather Cartwright. And she kind of advised me on what I should be looking at if I wanted the ability to do a retrofit. Okay. So that's what I would advise you to do. If, if there's machines out there that you're looking at, then contact Gamble and get the information on the machine so that you make sure you purchase something you can do a retrofit on if that's what you're wanting to do. And we I'm get calls on a regular basis. Many people might not know this. We get calls from people who have a machine they they are selling like for example mom passed away and we're selling mom's machine but we don't know what it's worth so they call us so that we can give them an idea of what that machine should sell for and then on the other side we get the, the potential buyer calling us saying hey i saw the ad for this machine i'm not entirely sure if it's the right kind of machine even that i want and sure. not sure either if it's a good price so but in addition, you can buy your used machine from Gamble directly. Right. Um, and many people choose to do that because then they get the warranty and the, the new owner training and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Okay, that's all I had for those questions and stuff. Uh, Shane and Vita, thank you. I, I went longer by about nine minutes over what I was going to, but um, I love people's stories and I just couldn't couldn't stop. Um, hang around with us because yeah, Valerie, I want to hear the next one. That's right, Valerie's story's coming up. So, Valerie, this is going to be easy for you because I'm kind of going to ask basically the same questions of you. So, so where's home for you? Um, currently, I am in Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay, that's right on the Indiana Illinois line. Okay, um, so we're in the same time zone. Uh, no, oh, we're not. <laughs> oh, we're not. Okay, you're, no. you're going over. Eastern time. Gotcha. I, I just moved to Indiana last month, so I've only been here for about four weeks. I came here from Tucson, Arizona. Uh-huh. Um, and your studio is already looking very, very good. Yeah. Uh, this place got <laughs> put together before the house got unpacked. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Priorities. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> you got priorities, absolutely. Um, so how long have you been long-arm quilting, Val? Um, I got my first machine in 2012. Um, and uh, my first machine, sadly, was not a gamble. Um, I bought what I thought I could afford to pay cash for. 
and I had it for about 10 months and it was in the shop about five months. And as soon as I got it back uh, from the company, I put it up for sale and I sold it and I I went and bought a gamble. So I got my first gamble in 2013. Okay. All right. Um, 2013. So when you got your first one, obviously, this was where you made the decision to start long arm quilting um what made you decide to do that what was happening in your life to make you want to do um, my my story is a little complex but i'll try to make it very very short um uh i used to be an officer for the state of indiana uh and i was shot on the job in 1998 and uh, fast forward several years, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to go back and do that line of work again. Uh, so I started looking for something different. Um, and that's when I, I fell into quilting, um, just absolutely by accident. Um, I was looking for a hobby, looking for something to fill some time because I had uh, I had a lot of recovery time on my hands and that gets pretty pretty lonesome and kind of boring. Um, so I jumped into uh, quilting, like piecing. Um, and as I got into that, I realized it was very difficult for me to explain to other people, other quilters, long armors, what I wanted done to my quilts, because I always saw myself more of an artist than a quilter. Um, and it was very hard to translate the vision that I had in my mind um, into quilt talk. So finally, I just decided if I'm going to do this, I need to be able to do it myself from start to finish. You know, there was no, the, it was very difficult to hand something over to somebody else and say, here, finish this morning. I've done my part. <laughs> it just it, it didn't work for me. Um, so I, I knew I needed a long arm so that I could finish uh, what I started. So you, okay, I, so you had the vision. You could see it in your mind what you wanted the quilt to look like. <laughs> but being able to, to do a Vulcan mind meld. I grew up with Star Trek. <laughs> Vulcan mind meld thing and you can't do that. Yeah. Well, the problem was is that long armors would hear me spit the stuff out and they'd say, Oh, sister, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, okay. So I mean I had uh it, it wasn't just like the traditional quilting that I was looking for. I was looking for for very custom, very different stuff. And they're like, Nope, you're gonna have to do that yourself. I said, Okay. So that, you know, if I was just looking to have edge to edge done, I probably could have continued sending that out. But that's not that's not how my work spoke to me. So I needed something more. Perfect. OK, so um, the next question is whether you got your machine specifically to do a business or if the business was more of a way to finance your fabric habit. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like. Sounds like mostly you wanted to be able to finish your own quilts. Where did the business um, side come in? 
So it's a funny thing that once you have a gamble, people, it's, it, you're like the Pied Piper of quilting and people will come to you whether you're looking for the business or not. And it was very shortly after I got my gamble, people were knocking at my door. Hey, Valerie, I see you got a new long arm. Would you be interested in quilting something for her? And I had very little experience. So I said no to no one. I took in every quilt, anything, um, just to be able to get the experience. I mean, I could quilt on my own stuff all day long, but being able to do the real world stuff like the edge to edge, that's um, doing that for other people. That's where I got my experience. Hmm. Just because it was a lot more quilts. If you were only doing your hmm. own quilts, that's what, 5, 10, 15 a year max. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a very prolific quilter. I make a lot. <laughs> a I make a lot of art quilts, but but yeah, um, you know, to be able to to quilt for other people really kind of added to that. In in a way, um, I'll say like this because as you can see behind me, what I make is art quilts. But what I do for other people can be more traditional style, um, custom, and edge to edge. And those at the time were not things that I did a lot of. Um, so if I wanted to get that kind of experience, like, like how to do a queen size custom, those quilts would have to come through my door or I wouldn't have been able to gain that experience because I wasn't making giant quilts. I was making little art pieces. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so then when you decided to replace your first machine with mm -hmm. the Gamel, how is it the gamble that you chose as opposed to something else? I mean, you'd already kind of made a a, a mistake that you regretted. How, yep. how did you make sure that, that the gamble was the right choice? How did you end up there? Um, I went to a quilt show uh, at uh, the AQS in Des Moines, and I played with every single machine uh, that they had there because I wanted to get a feel for what the machine, I already knew what I didn't like, and I was looking for something that was going to be more intuitive. Now, my first machine was a freehand only, it did not have a computer, um, but I have a, I have a background, I have a degree in photography and graphic design, so it really made sense for me to look for something that had the computer side of it because I already spoke that language. I already knew how it worked. Um, and so when it came down to it and looking at the Gamhol versus the other brands, um, Gamhol uh, was based off of a, a Windows-based operating system, which I already knew. Um, so I knew that that part would translate fine. I wouldn't have to learn how the OS worked. Um, and then the graphic side, uh, you know, the way Creative Studio was written, even the earliest version that I came in on, which I believe was two point something um it was it was very easy for me to take my knowledge that i already had um from from graphic design to be able to operate that system it was that close to what i already knew mm -hmm. so i felt like i had a little bit of an edge um coming in to work on a gamble i i i could just sit down and it was easy mm -hmm. Um, so do you have the same machine today that you bought way back 
back then or have you upgraded or done other so, things? So let me tell you about this. The first gamble that I got was an 18. It was very pretty. It was purple. 12 foot frame it was beautiful she spoke to me and then one day she says i'm not big enough <laughs> so <laughs> i traded her in and i got a bigger one two years later well four years later um i traded her in for the next size up and then um just last june i upgraded again <laughs> for a bigger size. So I mean, I would have to tell people really and truly, if you're going to do this, just go ahead and get the bigger machine because you're going to want it later. <laughs> yeah. I would also say too, I, I'll chime in on that, that um, when you put your money into a gamble, mm. um, it, you could argue whether perhaps gold bars is a safer place to put your money. Maybe it is uh, <laughs> a safer place to put it in gold bars, but um, a thief could break in and take your gold bars very easily. <laughs> He's going to have a hard time taking your Statler. So and true. <laughs> whenever you are, you know, tired of quilting or they're wheeling you off to the old people's home, um, that money that you parked in your gamble machine, you can get the vast majority of it right back out of it. And if you put a little more money in to get the bigger machine, when it comes time to trade it in or trade it up or 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 re hang up your quilting for good, um, that it's worth more because it's the more desirable machine that people want. So each uh, time I've traded up and upgraded, I haven't really lost much money. I mean, I feel like I'm paying for the upgrade, but um, but you know, I feel like I've gotten my value back out of the machine for even what I'm trading in for. So I, yeah. I have not been disappointed yet. Yeah. It shocks a lot of people when they find that out, because whenever you trade up a boat or you trade up a car or mm -hmm. you, uh, a lot of things when you trade up, boy, it hits you in the pocketbook real hard because this $45,000 car two years ago is worth half of that today, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's a real blow to the pocketbook. Um, how did you know that there was enough long arm business available in your town to support another long arm quilter? Well, you um, didn't really judge I, that. Did I, I didn't because I wasn't looking to quilt for other people initially. So I didn't even look at that aspect of it until after I had my machine. But once I had my machine and I saw what the need was, um, I didn't mind doing it because I didn't always have something of my own to be working on. Uh, and I kind of looked forward to being able to quilt for others um, to kind of fill in uh, my empty time. Um, you know, if I didn't have something that was ready to be quilted, I could go ahead and quilt for somebody else and make some money um, and, you know, and learn something in the process. Mm -hmm. um, how did you come up with the money to buy the machine? Another fun story. So, uh, of course, I sold the the very first one that I had. I sold that and I took that money. And then uh, I had this beautiful purple Harley that, that uh, I loved. And I sold my motorcycle to make the down payment on my gamble, um, along with the other money that I had, and that paid for about half of my machine, and then I financed the rest of it. Um, and uh, and then um, 
the second upgrade, uh, I just, I, I didn't have to finance that one. I just paid for that. And then the third machine that I bought, I sold my brand new pickup truck to pay for. And my husband begged me not to sell the new pickup. He has his own truck, but mine was prettier. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, he was like, no, we can just finance the gamble. And I said, ah, you know, I don't really want to. Um, I could, I can, but it was just easier not to have that financial burden again. So I sold my pickup truck. Uh, I bought uh, a different vehicle and um, paid for my uh, machine outright. So I don't have to have a payment at all. Mm -hmm. There's no stress uh, in doing that. Um, yeah. And I still have, I still have a very nice car. So yeah, <laughs> just not that, that real shiny pickup. That was nice. No, yeah. now I have new shiny Explorer instead of a new shiny F-150, but I can hold more quilts in the back of the Ford Explorer. That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. So, so um, about how many hours per week do you spend quilting for yourself and for others? Is it is it half and half or um it it depends on the week, but I think that mostly I do between 15 and 20 hours a week for other people. And no matter what, no matter how busy I am, I save at least uh, a day to a day and a half uh, a week to be able to work on my own stuff. Um, because that is the whole reason why I bought this machine was to be able to do stuff for myself. And um, uh, shortly after I got set up here in Indiana, I worked for almost uh, three weeks straight on everybody else's stuff. And it really kind of, you know, put me down a little bit, you know, because I didn't dread, get, huh? Yeah, I didn't get the opportunity to work on my own stuff. And I could see it hanging back there. And I finally just said, you know, I have to say, you know, Saturdays and Sundays are my own day. And I can do Monday through Friday for other people. And I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah. So. Well, you know what they say on the airplane, uh, in the unexpected event of a loss of cabin pressure, put your own mask on first <laughs> before right. helping other people. And, you know, yep. if you don't do the things that bring you joy, you're not going to be any good to the people yep. around you, you know, and I learned that a lot later in life, you know, um, you do have to take care of your own mental health. Right, exactly. It, it is gamble is my therapy and um it's it's cheaper than the local therapist so <laughs> <laughs> a lot more fun i'm sure for sure um, so you your quilts are art quilts and they're custom quilts do you offer custom quilting to other people or is it primarily edge to edge um i offer both to other people um i do a fair amount of edge to edge and a fair amount of custom um, I take in a lot of custom really from across the U.S. Um, because there are so many areas where uh, quilters in those other places are, are not willing to do custom. And here I am gladly saying, pick me, pick me. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll send it to you because people still have a desire to have that kind of work done. Um, and some people just simply are not willing to put in the time um, to do the hard work. Too many quilters, they just want to do, they want to take the easy money or the easy job um, and they don't want to do the custom. But well, there's nothing wrong with easy money. 
No, oh. there's not. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the easy jobs, uh, and they are very much appreciated. But as an artist, I also love the challenge um, yeah. that I get from custom quilting because it's it, it makes you think about what you're looking at and what's going to go where and what's going to fit in here. And, ooh, if I do this, it'll make it look like this. And, you know, so for me, it's a challenge to my brain. Yeah. Um. What would you say your total charge for an average customer quilt is? Um, if you're talking about a queen size, let's say, you know, 84 high 96-ish, you're looking at somewhere between 190 and 240, depending on what pattern uh, they select. I, I gauge my edge to edge in three different categories. Unlike most people, some people really just charge one flat rate um, for for edge to edge, but I, I keep mine in three different tiers. Um, very light, uh, which would be the equivalent of a meander, um, a medium density, and then a high density. And so I have different price ranges for each one of those three. Um, and then custom quilting, uh, you know, I don't go simply by, um, by an edge to edge for custom quilting. Uh, I have kind of a hybrid that I use, which is a calculation of square inches, um, uh, the complexity of the pattern selected, and the time spent. Um, and so uh, a queen size 84 by 96 can range anywhere from, say, 500 to almost 1100, depending on the class of patterns um, or the complexity uh, that they want to have done. So Vita mentioned taking perhaps a week on an $1,100 quilt. Does that, is that similar with yours? Very much. Um, and sometimes it takes me even a little bit longer. I mean, I've had some um, custom quilts on my frame for, you know, 10 to 12 days. Um, it just really depends on on the complexity um, and some some just simply take more. Uh, and so, you know, you have to, I only have one machine. Um, so, you know, I really have to uh, be mindful of blocking off enough time um, to be able to manage that particular custom quilt from start to finish because um, I, I don't have a backup machine to work with. Gotcha. Um what would you say for how many quilts you've done in your worst year and your best year, or just the dollars? How many dollars in the worst year and in the best year? Uh, probably previously, I would say that my worst year quilting was close to 20,000. Um, and maybe that was about 150 to 160 quilts. Um, my best year was 65,000 and closer to maybe 210. 210 quilts. Um, I, and I say previously till now, because this is probably going to go up as my worst year ever, um, simply because I've moved uh, again. And I didn't just move across town or across the state. I moved from Arizona to Indiana. And so, oh, so you have to rebuild again. Cor correct. But, um, you know, when you are I think that when you're good at what you do, um, many of your customers will follow you no matter where. And so 
And immediately, once I got my machine set up, I had many of my Tucson quilters sending me quilts. Um, so I, I haven't had any shortage of work since I got here, but I, I had almost 90 days where my machine was not set up. Uh, and not 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 usable yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, now of course I've got to get myself back out there and put my information back out in this area so that I can get people from the local area um to come in. Um, so this one is probably, I'm gonna say if I had to forecast this year, I'm probably gonna be under 19,000, give or take. Yeah. Um what was the hardest part of growing your business the first time? We'll see about the second time. <laughs> um, just getting people to uh, to take you seriously as a new quilter because, you know, some of the, um, the hardest thing is, you know, people say, oh, just because you have a long arm, you think you can do this kind of work, you know. So there was a lot of people that would second guess um, until you're able to show them how good you can do or what kind of work you can do. Um, so I think just getting people to your door uh, is really the biggest part of the challenge. But once once you get a handful of good customers, say you get five good customers, each one of those people is going to say something amazing about what it is that you've done for them and that word of mouth they will tell 10 people and they will of those 10 people that they tell you'll probably get business from at least two or three of them and so that branches out and before you know it right. you've got a clientele of 50 to 100 people right yeah so so yeah i mean the hardest part is just simply getting people to 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 bring their stuff to you yeah um What's one change in technology that makes it easier today than when than it was when you started? Um, well, I started, I came into uh Gamble with version two point something. I want to say it was two point three. Um, so I have to say with every new upgrade with CS, I see all these tools and I'm like did you see what this can do? It's amazing, all of the stuff that they put in here. And every single new upgrade that they do, it makes things quicker. It makes things easier. Um, it makes things um, just more functional. And so um, every time they upgrade, I just can't wait to get in there and play with the new toys and see what they do because there's so much, uh, you know, if they, if they put out a tool that saves me 15 minutes on the placement of a pattern, um, man, that just, you know, that's huge. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to be able to edit patterns on our screen within CS, that is amazing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and I played with other companies software and I have to say that CS is hands down the easiest to use. Mm -hmm. Yep, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was your biggest cheerleader or your support system as you started this? Um, definitely my husband, because he, he is fearless. I can dream up all of these ideas, and it's like coffee cup conversations at 5 a.m. You know, I was thinking about buying this machine, and he's like, 
yeah, okay, just go for it, you know? And so he never tells me no. He's like, all right, let's see what you can do. And um, it's just really nice to uh, to be able to have that kind of support behind me. Um, and like I said, absolutely fearlessly, he's just always standing behind me, rooting me on. Um, and then next to him, I would say, um, I don't know if you want to call them cheerleaders, but really just... Uh, the friends um, that I have met along, uh, I'll say my gamble journey, people that I've met either at uh, like the sugar conventions when we had that and on the gamble Facebook page, because, you know, you meet some fantastic people with so many different skill levels and, um, you know, you make some some really get great friends there. And it's so nice to be able to have those people behind you that you can just, you know, quick go to the computer, send them a message and, and ask them a quick question and see what they would do or, you know, how how they would, um, how, you know, how do you address this issue? It, it's mm -hmm. like you're, there's no shortage of people, one, that are willing to help uh, and two, that are knowledgeable enough. So, you know, yeah. just a lot of good friends. You had, you had mentioned the software updates, and one of the things that causes a lot of activity and questions is whenever we release a new version of software, there's always the early adopters that jump in right away and download mm -hmm. the free update, and they start playing right away with the new tools. Yep. And then there's the ones that come along in the middle, and then, and then the latecomers that come along a year or two later, uh, and they're like, I know I missed out when everybody else was upgrading, but I finally just did it. So um, it's it's pretty cool to have that support system, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, I, I've never let software scare me off. I mean, I just look at it like a good challenge. But, you know, I know that with every upgrade they put out, there's going to be something better in there than what we had before. And, uh, you know, so far I have not been disappointed in, in that thought. And so, I mean... Uh, I just, I, I love everything that they've added as they've added it. It's just been amazing. Cool. Um, what, uh, what kind of impact has the quilting money and the control over your personal schedule made in your life? Um, a lot because, um, you know, initially I bought this to be able to quilt for myself, but then when I realized that I could do this for money and that people would pay me to do this for them, um, it, it allowed me, uh, to, to be able to create free, freely without having to worry about, uh, you know, the financial aspect of what it is that I want to create. But I mean, I've paid off two houses. I've paid off three machines. We still have nice vehicles. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of income generated from this that I would not have had, uh, any other way. Um, that in, in the personal freedom, if I don't want to quilt today and I want to go out and play and do something else, then I can do that. I get to make my own schedule. Um, you know, if my husband wants to take off and do a weekend trip someplace, we can go do that. Mm -hmm. Um, no other job is going to give you that kind of freedom. Now, I feel obliged to point out that you, when you're working, you are working. Right. Correct. It's not easy money. No, it's not all easy. I mean, but it's all fun. You <laughs> 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 work and still be fun, right? That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. What is something that you wish someone would have told you when you first started? Ooh. 
number one, that all quilts that come through your door are not going to be flat and square. (laughs) (laughs) And that you really should not apologize for the price that you put on your quilting. Um, It took me a long time to be able to to wrap my head around this concept, but um, custom quilting, you know, that's a whole animal all of its own um, that can be uh, a little a little pricey. And uh, sometimes people will just be like, oh, I can't believe it's going to cost that much. So after a couple of years of being, you know, letting people talk me down a little bit, I finally came to the realization that what I needed to do when price quoting for custom was people would tell me what they want um, and I would give them an estimate uh, for the kind of custom that they were looking for. But alongside of that uh, custom quote, I would also give them a quote for a medium density edge to edge. And I would present those quotes to them both at the very same time and say, this is what you asked for in custom, um, but this is what it costs. This is how it compares to doing edge to edge. And if they would say to me then, oh, well, I can't afford custom. Oh, okay, that's okay. I also offer this very nice edge to edge. And so you get to choose what it is uh, you want to pay. Um, And that really took... um, that took a lot of the anxiety um, out of having to price quote for people. It puts the ball in their court and they get to choose um, how much money they want to spend on each piece without feeling like they're locked into, um, you know, it's going to cost $750. Well, you know, custom takes a long time. And so it is going to be expensive. And should you choose not to go that route, I can absolutely offer you a very nice edge edge. Valerie, that's that's a brilliant uh, approach. Uh, I have to say, I think that sometimes people who do custom uh, a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. they've had a customer that paid a lot for that custom work and they never could figure out why she was grumpy about it mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. Yep. And I think that sometimes people by the time you've spent time with them and you've you've put together the proposal and everything and now they're looking at a thousand dollar bill i suspect that sometimes they are um socially pressured internally to not say what they really think which is oh my goodness that's way too much money i should never have asked you for that um i can't do a thousand dollars or i don't want to do a thousand dollars on this and so I, I kind of wonder if sometimes when people are presented with just one option, they pressure themselves internally to accept mm. that option, but they really didn't want it. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. So later, they're, they're an unhappy, sort of unhappy customer. Right. Because yeah. they, because of their own. The, the other thing is about that, and it, some people, uh, I will say piecers, Um, they will bring you a quilt that they've been working on for a very long time. And because they've been working on piecing this quilt for such a long time, they think in their mind that it has to be done with custom quilting. But as the long arm quilter, you have to be able to look at that piece and be able to tell them honestly whether or not this piece is going to benefit from the time and the expense 
of long arm quilting. Um, you know, because if the quilting isn't going to show because of either the piecing patterns or the fabrics that are chosen, you should really be willing to tell them honestly. Um, I know you think you had custom in mind, uh, but it's not going to show. And you're going to spend all of this money to custom quilt this, and it may not be benefited greatly from that. So you have to be able um, to, to offer your expertise to the people that may not know any differently. And so explain to them what they're going to see on that. And if they still want custom, by all means, do it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to spend two or two weeks quilting somebody's quilt and charge them, you know, $800. And then they come back and they look at it and they say, I know you custom quilted it, but I don't see it. Right. <laughs> so right. you have to be able to tell them that yeah. ahead of time. Uh, Hang on a sec. I covered up my next question. <laughs> so what advice would you give someone who is wanting to uh, do basically what you've done and kind of follow that same path? And is that something that somebody could do today just like you did? Absolutely. I mean, I think if you have the will and the desire to be able to work for yourself, you have that kind of discipline, jump right in and do it. But um, you know, make sure, number one, make sure you're getting the machine that you want with the features that you want and the size that you want, because, um, you know, it's easier to, it's easier to buy a pig now than to trade up later. And I, I mean, I can say that I've upgraded twice now. Um, I wish I would have bought the bigger machine the first time. Um, but, you know, get what you want, spend the money and, uh, and, and then, you know, work for others, but remember to take the time to also uh, work for yourself. Take the time to do your own thing. Um, go to the quilt guilds, share your work, show people, make the friends and make those personal connections with people. Um, and uh, that is going to be the happy side of things. Um, being able to show your work and, and hear people um, give you kudos and um, that looks amazing. You know, that's that's what we all want to hear, you know? Yeah, yeah, cool. Thank you. I'm going to look at a couple of questions that I've gotten in the uh, from people that are listening. Um, do you include the binding for the quilts? And for that, I kind of wonder if the question is related to custom quilts because... Um, I only include binding if they are asking me to do the binding, but generally speaking, that is an additional charge. Um, and if they ask for binding, I can give them a quote for that, but I send that out to a third-party person. I do not do bindings here uh, myself, just simply because I'm one person and I do not have the time. Uh, but I always find somebody in my local area uh, who enjoys doing binding, and that's what they want to do. And so I, I call that a subcontractor for me. Um, and I send that out, uh, and I, I, so I can offer it to them. I just don't do it myself. Yeah, certainly different people have different preferences on sure. what they want their binding to look like. And Correct. I know for myself, I mean, I'm not even a real quilter, right? I've only done a few, but I know for myself, I'm, um, I'm very particular about the kind, the, the way I want it to look. Yes. You know? So, um, Fantastic. Okay. Well, gosh, we ran a little longer than we'd planned. We went 15 minutes over, but um, as always, I just, 
I just want to thank you guys for sharing your stories, for helping to inspire others. There are people who are watching this who are contemplating making kind of a big life change. And it's scary to make that kind of a change. And you sharing your experiences as you kind of blazed the path ahead of them is going to help them to, to believe maybe that they can do this and that they will survive and it will be okay. And it's, it'll be good on the other side. So anything else you, you guys would like to, uh, to say to our viewers before we sign off for the night? Do it. Happy quilting. Absolutely. Happy quilting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. And uh, have a nice evening. You too. Good night. Good night. Thank you for joining us today on Quilting Business Success. We hope you've been inspired by these stories of quilters just like you who have turned their dreams into reality. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. One of the best things you can do to support us is to write a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Those reviews help bring us up in the algorithm so that more quilters are exposed to our show. What would you like to change in your life, and what steps can you take today to bring you closer to the life that you want?